My name is Joe Witte. I'm an entrepreneur, veteran, father, and proud team member at Tag One. Thank you for joining our podcast, Getting Transparent, where we get to hear the stories with people who are making a difference in our food and natural product supply chain, find out what drives them, and how they're making this world just a little bit better. This is Getting Transparent, brought to you by Tag One. Welcome, everybody, to Getting Transparent. Excited to have Mark Carter from MC Squared join us. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's podcast, we had Eric Vanderheide on from Barefoot Botanicals share his amazing story about how he started an organic farm here in Bucks County in Doylestown. So first off, Mark, great to have you, buddy. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be here, Joe. So a little bit about Mark. Uh, Mark is an innovator and has been actively involved in uh, food safety and testing and innovation technologies and entrepreneur and advisor. Tell us a little bit about some things you're actively working on. And I got an important question for you. When somebody asks you, what do you do? How do you answer that question? The first thing I tell them is uh, uh, it's a bit of everything, man. It's a hodgepodge, but we help early stage companies develop technologies and get them launched. I mean, that's our main focus, our main goal. We do some other things food safety wise, you know, the nuts and bolts of education and training um, program development. But yeah, we, we spend our time working with early stage companies who want to deliver uh, different solutions to the to the supply chain, man, to, to the food industry. And, and is it only the food sector or do you venture outside that as well? Oh, we venture outside of that as well. Um, also have stepped over and helped new, new folks in the nutraceutical side of the business. Yep. You know, also some in the, in the, in the hemp and cannabis side too. Very cool. So how much of that is product development, product formulation, thinking about their supply chain, go-to-market strategies, messaging. Which parts do you guys specialize in? So we, we if you take what you just said, there's probably two places we spend more time than not. Um, if, we look at, if we look at technology specifically for these industries, a lot of it has to do with helping them develop um, testing technologies mm-hmm. of different types, not necessarily all microbiological. It could be physical testing. It could be the development of AI for uh, identifying food fraud and things like that. But yeah, we spend a good bit of time there. Then the other things are if we find neat technologies that help people understand um, the data that they're getting right along the along the chain, uh, the supply chain. We, we help with those too. A lot of it has to do with digital. A lot of it has to do with um, using, you know, big data to help people make decisions about their business. And I think that's where a lot of where the future's going is everything's going to tie into that. But, you know, so tell me, systems underneath it. Tell me some uh, interesting companies that you've seen or that you're working with right now that and some of the potential impact they could have in the industry. Yeah, I mean, there's some really cool ones out there. Um you know, one of the ones that, that I'm working with right now is a company called BrightScan. Yep. And BrightScan um, actually has developed a, a system. It's a lot like what you use to unlock your camera, you know, the, the, your phone with your face hmm. to identify substances and can tell if things are adulterated. Um, authenticate product is really what it's there for. First iterations came in nutraceuticals. The technology's got patents around it that could be used for a lot of other things. And really, the cool thing about it is the flexibility that it has to expand based on kind of what the user wants to do. So they've even been able to look at um, verifying formulation mixes for people in product development and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's a real cool one. Yeah. Uh, it, also- it, 
We know uh, Danica pretty well and have had multiple conversations and are actually looking to do some partnerships on her side. And the fact that you can put a machine the size of a big toaster in the field, right? So as we look at the complexity of the supply chain, you know, anything that's natural or, or putting in our bodies comes from someplace, yep. be able to analyze it there, verify it. And then that verification travels along with the product throughout the supply chain. You say, is this what it's supposed to be? I think is really powerful. Um, it's cost effective. So I'm really impressed with, with Danica and her team. And, and, and that's one of those potential game changers um, that can make sure that yeah. what we say we're getting, we're actually getting. Yeah. Another company that I've worked with, um, uh, Acadium Life Sciences. Acadium actually does something really neat. One of the biggest hurdles people have is the speed to getting a result with different types of testing. Right. And I know if you've seen at times people use like magnetic separation and things like that, centrifugation to get an analyte away from whatever it's mixed up in, especially on the bacteria, microbiological side, you know, bacteria, viruses, things like that. They have a really unique novel way of doing it that uses micro bubbles, right, for the same thing, but it speeds up testing and concentrates stuff really fast. Hmm. Um, so, so slow you know, down. So what is a micro bubble for me and probably 90% of our audience? Yeah. And like, other than when I'm a kid and like a very small bubble comes out, I don't think that's what you're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. We're talking about even smaller bubbles than that, that, that can be, um, they can have, you know, they're glass mm-hmm. they're basically coated whatever they need to catch the analyte that they need. They can take RNA out of, uh, out of a sample. They've been used for COVID testing and other things like that, hmm. um, can be used for bacterial testing. Um, they're used in the clinical side now for cell separation and different things like that. But, you know, they're really, really small bubbles that just work on the principle of buoyancy inside of a liquid, as opposed to anything else that you would use, like, you know, spinning them really fast in a mm-hmm. centrifuge or anything like that. So you don't need really need any equipment. You know, it can be automated. It can be made large scale like you would with magnetic beads or anything like that. But it's a really simple, easy, eloquent way to take your target away from something that could create um, interference in finding it is the easiest way to put it. Are you sometimes blown away, like ever stop to think about where technology is going sometimes in the trajectory that some of these different companies are, are going with software, AI, you know, um, some of the hardware and, and um, you know, Bluetooth and how, you know, yeah. Oh. IoT? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen... And I, you know, I, did, I did a little article on IoT stuff a little while ago for inside the like a food plant and other places. But if you think about the pl- just the way technology is going to enable the collection of data, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just simply, you know, things that we would have had somebody walk around and you know measure and you know take a take a sample and do different things with it. I mean. Temperatures, if you look at growers and the way they have to keep things at a certain temperature, maybe in, a, in an indoor growing facility, right, as we're seeing more and more instances of vertical farming and being able to monitor that without a large number of hands, right, the hands can now be changed to, to mines, right, where what they're doing is looking at data instead of walking around taking temperatures, right, because, right. you know, or looking at the moisture in the room or the, or the you know, the soil you know, humidity and moisture and things like that. I truly think that, you know, in 10 years, those things will be commonplace. Laboratories Mm -hmm. will, you know, a lot of the QC that's done in the lab of understanding the temperatures of incubators or anything that's environmental that can be measured, 
you know, you find secure IoT devices that give the data back to a central location, right? And uh, you could look at multiple areas all at once, you know, and have data there to say, hey, what do we need to do to optimize what we're doing? On the software side, um, on the app side, and that's really where you see it, you know, it, much more from where, you know, things were difficult. The fact that we, we've gotten really used to, A, walking around with a computer in our hands mm-hmm. all the time, right? You don't necessarily have to sit down and do everything, but we carry them in our pockets. So yep. you know, companies that have been innovative, like, you know, some of the things you guys do, some of the things that I've seen where it's now being app driven, your, 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 the power of the, you know, your phone, the computer that you carry in your hand is going to be leveraged to really do some neat things. I think over the next you know five to 10 years, I've seen it change a lot in the last five years, but as we become more and more accepting of, uh, of cloud-based technologies, yep. you know, it, it'll be interesting too, to see, does there become a disparity mark between companies that are investing in technology early and have the ability to invest in technology early and implement it. And there's a difference between people who buy it and people actually implement it and use it. And those that maybe are on tight margin businesses, they're in kind of smaller mom and pop businesses or farms. Does that continue to create a gap between efficiencies, margins um, from those that don't? And thus there's continued consolidation. Well, you know what I think about at times, I would hope that we'd find technology democratizing the Mm -hmm. ability of small producers to leverage what they do well, have the same set of technical resources as some of the bigger guys do, right? I mean, because when I worked at Kraft and things like that, we had a, we had money to, right. to spend on things we wanted to develop on our own, like a lot of the larger companies do now. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at the fact that if I can deploy a technology to one location, then one location can collect data and do anything they want with it. So if I'm a bigger company and I can say, oh, well, I want this done in 30 locations so I can I can see all the data in one place. Small company has that same ability. And if it's cloud based, the apps are built right. You look at things with, you know, where it's a subscription model, per se, mm-hmm. tiny level of customizations allowed. You know, they've got access to the power of data that they did not have, you know, 10, 15 years ago as a small manufacturer small producer, small grower, right? And that's the thing now with IoT devices and different things, moving this farther down the food chain for traceability purpose and safety purposes is going to get easier. Yep. I mean, I'd almost say, just to piggyback on that, it's critical for leaders of any size business to think as innovators and entrepreneurs. And I think where smaller businesses get in trouble is when they think of themselves as, I am a farmer or I am a this manufacturer, and it's like, well, actually, you also need to be a fundraiser. Um, you also need to be an innovator. You need to adapt new technologies. And I think one of the huge advantages of being a, a smaller company is you're way more agile. You can make decisions faster. You can implement them faster. Um, and if assuming you continue to keep that culture in your business, whereas a Kraft or Nabisco or Nestle, to move something around, they may have the capital, but to move that ship takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the old speedboat versus an ocean liner. Yep. You know, yep. Uh, or, or an aircraft carrier type thing. I, I truly believe, though, that if if technologies are embraced mm-hmm. by some of the folks, you know, who, who can see that, you know, for a very, very low cost, you know, and here's here's why I think it's going to be important to remember this. And this ties in somewhat with the, you know, air, the, now with the air of smarter food safety that FDA talks about. 
the data requirements aren't going to be any less at that level. You know, if you think about FISMA implementation, how mm-hmm. we went large companies going down to medium, then to small, mm-hmm. the requirements for data collection and management will be no easier, no less stringent for somebody who's small than somebody who's large. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, you know, if you look at it that way, you know, and, and you're talking about time, efficiency, the investment you make in those technologies can help you long-term, especially if those technologies are easy to scale. So, you know, it's just one of those things where if you think of it from, wow, you know, I've got to add this as a cost, but what does it cost to keep everything on paper? And then what does it cost when it's time for an audit to right. go back and find it? So I see a great benefit, you know, and the ROI on that's really pretty high if, if folks really think about it. But I understand, man, at a certain level, those margins are tight. Absolutely. And so one of the, I think, challenges is that a lot of companies look at this as like, what am I being required to do from a regulatory perspective, rather than why is this regulatory approach being implemented and how does this help my company? Yeah, Because it's about risk management. It's yeah. about keeping people safe. It's about avoiding lawsuits. It's about um, avoiding class action lawsuits. Yeah. It's It's Thus, reducing your insurance premiums if you have a better and more sophisticated system. Um, We spoke to one of our clients that hadn't quite implemented our software yet, and they got hit with a recall. took them four days, and then suddenly we had their president's attention. Why haven't we implemented TAG1 yet? This would have taken us 15 minutes, and suddenly they understood the dynamic of that. And I think that's something we continue to have to harp on until somebody sticks their hand in the fire, do they realize... We need a better system and process, um, not just because the regulations are telling them to do that. You know? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's uh it's it's like if anybody who's ever been through a recall, and I mean I I spend a good bit of time on the side of the industry where we were trying to get things back. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever spent any time either going through a mock recall or a real recall, you understand like gathering the data and understanding where things are is is immensely important because. The first thing is, can you find everything that you had out there? You know, and the faster you do that, the faster you can account for it. Is it in your control? Is it in a store? Is it in transit? The faster you know that, the easier it is to go back and say, hey, we know where things are. If we need to bring them back, we can bring them back. You know, they're in our, they're in our, you know, digital control, so to say. You know, now you got to go verify it. It might say it's one place, it's another, but that's the reason you build sound systems and understand and test. So, you know, your data moves along with your product and and that the data you're seeing is accurate. Um, So if you've ever lived through that, and I have, (laughs) you know, multiple times, now the benefit of being able to say, I can do this and have Mm -hmm. the data there and the documentation that travels along with that in like 15 minutes is, is so valuable, but you know, it's insurance as much as it is anything else, you know, Times people play with insurance. You know? That's right. Which sectors in the food industry do you think need to implement um, some of these risk management softwares or, or, or at the highest risk? And um, what do you think the greatest risks, risks are in our food industry today? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I, th- there's a couple that I look at. And I think, I think anywhere we have supply chains that have been become... Um, I mean, super complex, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing, it's one thing if I have a commodity, right. Or, you know, something where I'm watching and I'll use a, use a, use a 
example that I had in my own career. I'm watching, you know, farmer stock peanuts go from point A to point B mm. to get shelled, roasted, and become, you know, a, 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 some peanuts, a pack of peanuts or a jar of peanuts or something like that, right? Yep. That's one thing. The harder part becomes when you start talking about the supply chains of complex products that are sold and 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 the systems where you have brokers in between, mm-hmm. you have multiple stops in between. Um, you know, I see the value of everything that goes along with understanding and verifying that I know what's coming to me when I bring it into my plant to make the product that I'm supposed to make. Mm-hmm. I know first of all that it that it is what it's supposed to be. And then it came along the path that it was supposed to come along with. And it, arri- and it arrived with the integrity it's supposed to arrive with, right? Yep, yep. That gives me some assurance that now as I make this product that I'm going to go sell, that that um, I'm pretty sure unless now that the, the responsibility becomes mine mm-hmm. and I didn't take in risk. So, the, you know, the, the ability to the ability to kind of go and, and manage and understand the complexity and have a picture of the complex, things that are complex in the supply chain is super valuable. And to me, that's where the risk is. Um, When you look at produce and you look at the recalls that have happened recently over the last five years from produce, I mean, technology is being thrown at that like crazy. You know, you look at, you know, the the emphasis on traceability, the talk about blockchain. When you have a company like IBM putting money into understanding those systems, you look at what, for instance, what Tag1 is able to do. I just think personally, and this is from working in the industry, that that, you know, the risks that you get that are either physical, chemical, microbiological, um, all converge, right? Because at times you have a tendency to see them as one science, right? So a lot of people, I was a microbiologist for a long time. You look and you go, well, this is what I'm worried about. I'm worried about, you know, foodborne outbreak, this, this, and this. But hey, you still got chemistry on top of that. You still got... You still have uh, the the whole integrity issue of is this substance that I'm buying really what it, what, what we say it is, you know? Um, so to me, it, it's it's ultimately important to say those risks and the microbiological risks come out because it's so acute. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back to the melamine instance, you know, years ago that how that melamine, um, you know, as a as a as it was used um, for food fraud purposes, basically. You know, and so understanding why different things could be used and the risk of those is 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 why you kind of have to continue to gather data and understand what's going on in the supply chain on the analytical side and the physical testing side, too. I spoke to a woman who's a longtime supply chain executive for one of the larger food companies and was shocked to hear that the the situation that kept her up at night was that an individual would sabotage a shipment of their wheat process. And, and to hear her say that it wasn't a lot of the, you know, the mycotoxins or microbials or other things, just like, like, wow, there's now you understand why from point A to point B, even if you have all the scientific things in place that some angry employee or somebody who's mad at this company for some reason could do something to put that at risk and put a whole company's brand at risk. Why you have to take those precautions is, is fascinating. Yeah, the whole idea of where you have economically motivated adulteration, mm-hmm. either economically motivated or, you know, exact tampering. Um, you know, we talk about food security, at least at least, you know, in the in the United States context, 
We talk about keeping the food safe. Other places in the world, food security has a different, a different, you know, meaning people right. just being able to eat, but at least in the context where we use it, it's actually making sure that the food's not been tampered with. Right. Um, you know, and, and a lot of work goes into making sure that that does not happen. But again, under the right circumstances with the right level of information that's traceable. Hey, those are things that you start reducing the risk of having a large scale event that really affects a lot of people. Right. I mean, I can't, one day will a system be perfect? Maybe, but I think, you know, it's like anything else. It's a cumulative effect of, I, you know, I did this part of risk management here that added safety here. I do another part of it here that adds another level of safety here. You know, and I think all those things combined together, you know, it's a, it's really a big food ecosystem. Right. Help make sure that whoever eats that can feel good about what first about what they bought and then second about what they're getting ready to consume. You know, that's right. Do it that's confidently. Right. So you've served as a CEO and a COO at different uh, different companies. Some of these are different labs and scientific uh, companies. How has how have those leadership positions? helped you as you're coming along other side leaders? What, what are maybe like two or three of the biggest things that you've learned as serving as an executive that you advise your startups that you're working with? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, the one thing you, you have to understand, um, let's say you start with the fact that, you know, anybody who's starting a company, anybody who's got a small scale business usually comes up with an idea and then a product, mm -hmm. Right. Scaling it so you can manage it is, is one of the tougher things. You know, I've seen multiple times as a company grows, um, the business outgrows the leadership, right? So I always think it's important for you know, folks to be prepared to handle the growth and understand their own limitations. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at myself as, as being an executive in positions where it's like, all right, you know, I know what I don't know and I need to go find somebody to help me or ask questions to understand. Um, and understanding that there is help out there, right, is a big deal. That's that's one of the things that's important. Understand the other thing too for small companies. Understanding um, just the basics. You know, where's my money coming from? How do I need to use it? Where do yep. I invest? Yep. Um, what are the things that are going to give me a return on my business that help me grow it necessarily in scale? Like I said earlier, without without necessarily having to scale. Um, you know. A lot of times, okay, I grow, I got to hire more people, but how do you manage that and balance it, right? It's not a matter of wanting people to be replaced, mm -hmm. but how do I optimize my spend on human resources and on systems and technologies to help me grow as efficiently as possible, right? I think that's important. Absolutely. And I think to piggyback on that, Mark, I think of two words when I think about going through early stage companies, adaptability is the first and humility is the second. So adaptability, like when you're coming up with an idea and a concept, and then you need to go build a beta product or an MVP in some capacity, like that's one mindset. Right. And you need to go validate this in the market and figure out what's the right price. Who's my right target audience? Are they willing to pay for it? How much are they willing to pay for it? That's another mindset. Now you need to scale and find the right people to scale. You're going to need different people at different times with different skill sets, which means you need to be adaptable. And I think where people sometimes get hung up is they reach one of those milestones and they start to celebrate, hey, we just raised a million dollars and they're patting each other on the back. It's like, uh, that's now the work's getting started. Yeah. <laughs> now you got a partner who wants 10 million back, right? Yeah. You're not done. That's not for you to go spend or go to vacation in the Bahamas. Yep. Um, 
But now you need to turn around and flip that around. And now you need to learn how to manage and build relationships with your investors and how to build teams. And oftentimes people get stuck, like they're good at one phase, but not the next. And sometimes I've seen people have the humility to say, I'm not good at that. Let me bring this person on, which is fine. If you can't adapt, bring somebody else on who can execute. Yeah, Those are some of the key yeah. components for success. Yeah. I mean, I think you always have to know your own limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, know, know what your strengths are, right? And if it's a matter of, hey, we're getting to the point that we do need some help, you know, on the technical side, who, who can help us? Whether it's, you know, I, I always say, do you want to make or buy, right? And maybe yep. you use, use consultant or some capacity, to help you get set up. And then when the growth is right and the, you know, the money says, Hey, we can hire a person for this. You do it, you know? Right. So it's just like anything else. You got to find out how to use your resources. Who's going to be, who's going to be the best person or the best way to help me accomplish X. Right. Because like I've heard it said plenty of times, you can have an idea that idea can become a product, mm-hmm. but it may never become a business, you know? And that's, that's the bigger thing on how big do you want to get? And just knowing when it's time to, to, to grab resources from other places, you yep. know? Yep. So taking, uh, go down a little bit different path with the FDA's new era of smarter food safety. If you were the CEO of a midsize food company mm-hmm. or, or you were working with them or advising them, what would you recommend that they should be doing? Because interestingly enough, as we talk to a lot of companies, there's a lot of buzz and discussion around it, but I think companies are a little stuck on they're listening, but not knowing where to start or what to do. Like, what would you advise them? Yeah. All right. So my first thing would be, um, you know, from, a, and, and let's take it from the side of the fence that usually if you're a mid-sized company, where you're going to have a, a side that handles the logistics of moving your product. You're going to have a side that, you know, is manufacturing. You have another side where you're talking about quality, food safety, and those things, Right. And then marketing and sales. Let's just say those are, are four buckets. And, and I think you have to say, you know, go back and look and say, which one of those becomes, you know, the greatest hurdle along with R&D, maybe for bringing new products in. But let's just say you've got a portfolio that you're growing. What's, what's the biggest hurdle for you to go to the next step or to be able to meet your market needs and your client needs, right? You know, Am I delivering things on time? What are the, what, what's the, what, what does it take for me to make what I make and get it to the people who are going to buy it, right? And then you have to go back and be able to assess where are the gaps in there. And the era of smarter food safety stuff is pushing you to say that, hey, there's been gaps in being able to understand exactly what I'm moving from point A to point B and all the data that goes along with mm-hmm. it. Okay, so what do I need to do from the standpoint of meeting that requirement, right? Of making sure that things are traceable because like I said, no matter what you do, having, you know, the recall situation we talked about earlier is, is a, is a horrible situation. Um, A withdrawal situation is, 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 is still a challenge. Right. But I think if I'm the CEO of those companies, I want to make sure that I'm always asking, you're always asking sales to sell as much as possible. So it's kind of a given manufacturing, you're asking them to make a quality product. So you are reducing the risk of consumer complaints, but that operation also ties in with your food safety, uh, the marketing and sales where somebody can say, Hey, do I like this product or not? Does it taste right? Is the packaging good? Does it keep it fresh? It's a, it's a holistic approach to it, but 
the one thing that's the backbone of all of that is I think you have to be able, especially like I said, with what's with the way FDA is going um, with products is being able to have as much information about those products as possible. Mm-hmm. It covers you off on the quality and safety side. Uh, so, you know, as a CEO, I want to make sure I'm taking care of what I need to. And I got a limited bucket of money, but I have to have money to make sure that I'm complying or trying to understand what it's going to take. And it may even give me an edge from a competitive standpoint, right? Absolutely. One of the things we always said yeah. is food safety is not competitive, but right. it's hard to say if it's guys makes a safer product, you have less risk. So yep. you have to see how all of it ties into your overall business, the risk profile that your company has, and long-term how it affects your profitability. Well, I so, mean, I think certainly as you're developing relationships with with consumers and 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 retailers to be able to have that message to say, hey, we've got the most advanced system in here. You don't have to worry about our product. Well, that that brings a certain sense of relief and comfort. Um, trust. The product differentiation is trust. You know, trust yeah. is one of the most important factors between um, consumers and their brands. Or, or, I don't know if, like when the last time was you've looked at or gotten close to maybe some of these food companies, but in history, have you been surprised at how some of them are not? You know, maybe they're stuck in a spreadsheet at best or, or doing very little to track their supply chain. Yeah. And so the one thing, the one thing I'll say is this, I think if anything, having resources uh, is a great thing in a food company Mm -hmm. where they're deployed at times, you know, it's tight. The margins in the food industry are tight. And where do, where do you look to say, I need to deploy this to, you know, go ahead and say, I got, I've got, I've got more money coming in. Right. Nothing bad about that. That's the reality of business. I think food companies want to do pretty much, you know, everything they can to produce a safe product, uh, create a safe environment for their for the people who work there. Um, but I think in the land of limited resources, sometimes you have folks that that, that are really, and to no fault of their own, are doing the best they can do with what they have. Right. Right. And it's up to I think some of the companies that are out here with the technologies to help them to really help them see the value in something that could, that could drive a make their life easier. Mm-hmm. Right. There's nothing harder than putting a bunch of stuff in a spreadsheet than trying to go back and find it, understanding what it all is and then keeping things consistent. Right. Um, understanding how technology can be leveraged to help you do exactly the things you want to do. Right. Instead of, instead of spending so much time doing that, I can deploy my, my, my time, somewhere else that might be, you know, of, of, of even higher value, right? So I, I personally think that it's important. It's really important that you understand, I think people in the food industry work on, you know, and 99% of everybody I've ever met wants to produce something that's safe. They want their customers to buy it. Yep. They want it to be high quality, right? Um, but you have some people with like the the nuts and bolts, hands in the dirt level that just don't have the resources to to do everything to stay on track with with what's needed for this new era of food safety. Yeah, right? some people are grinding really hard. And then what we focused on too is culture, right? When we yeah. identify companies that already have a culture of excellence, they have a culture mm-hmm. of putting together the best and safest and healthiest products possible. These conversations are much easier from those who or been doing things the same way for a long period of time and they're focused on margin or on sales. It's harder to turn those for sure. 
Yeah. The cost of quality thing is a real beast inside of a lot of companies, right? Because, and I've seen this plenty of times on a PL, it's like, all right, how much are we spending and what does it mean? And if a company's got a really, a real strong commitment, you know, they don't cut corners. They spend as much as they can to make sure that that consumer's getting something that's safe, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a quality product. You know, you don't get packaging that's messed up. You, you know, I mean, things like that that cost you money in the long run and cost you sales, right? Are things that these folks just just at times, um, you know, w- worry about, but they'll look at a PL and look at where they're making money and say, I, you know, I can't, I just can't invest any more in this. Let's do the best with what we have. Right? That's right. So that's right. So let's take it. Uh, speaking of culture, um, Something that that is is important to you is giving back to your community and uh, and making a difference on that side. Talk a little bit about Lace It Up Sports and where that idea came from and and how you're trying to make a difference, Mark. Yeah, I love. Okay, so Lace It Up Sports um, is is a uh, uh, kind of my baby that that is always being incubated and 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 grown. Lace It Up came about simply because I wanted to spend time uh, giving back. I've always you know. Been in, been around sports, participated, um, you know, playing different sports, different levels, you know, high school, college, things like that. Um, but but lace it up is about um, not just the athletic side of it, mm-hmm. right? But it's also a lot to do with you know, okay, we can train kids, we can sponsor teams, we can help them try to get into college. But in the midst of that, we want to teach some leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is and we we mentor boys, girls, all kinds of sports. It started off kind of with some guys that I knew um, that that were all football players, but it's expanded since then. Um, you know, so my 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 goal with that and goal of kind of the folks that I've worked with is to partner with other people to not only bring um, um, you know some athletic joy to folks, but to help kids. And we focus on kids that go up to the point of uh, even through high school, mm-hmm. but to give them, help them with some life and leadership skills along the way too. And that's just important to me as if a kid were to get a you know scholarship to go play football or basketball, whatever they want to play in college, critical. it's just as critical for them to understand some of the skills that go along with being successful as a person first, as an athlete second. That's right. That's right. Um, and so that's why we, we've spent a good bit of time Working with some other folks is a great, great group down in Florida. A good friend of friend of mine runs called Unsigned Preps. Mm-hmm. Unsigned Preps does a lot of things along the same lines. Um, and uh, you know, Rick's been a big good mentor for me to kind of help understand how to run lace it up and some of the things and, and get mm-hmm. focused on some of the things we want to do. But yeah, I love I love participating with, you know, I've coached, I've done a lot of different things and it's just a real joy for me to be able to give back that way. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, investing in our, our young people is absolutely critical these days. Yeah. Um, you know, having um, families that are broken is is becoming more and more common. Yep. Um, giving uh, young men and women mentorship, leadership, um, how to adapt, right? If we teach them a skill, they know that skill. But the reality in these days, we're changing our skill set every three to four years. So I helped veterans as they were transitioning out of the military to start new businesses and entrepreneurship. 
and you would work with some, I'd work with some Navy SEALs who were like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a transportation guy. Right. I was like, yeah. I doubt it. It may feel like it at this time, mm-hmm. but anything that's new to somebody is difficult. So to help them learn how to adapt and learn how to think is can change somebody's life. And, and I think it's, it's really cool that, that yeah. you're investing in these people to make a difference, Mark, for sure. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. We have a couple of things we do, you know, internally to try to push, push people, you know, not, we can go as hard as we want to on the physical side with the training that we do and some other stuff. We do some things that make people uncomfortable in situations to help them grow. Um, you know, guys like to hang out with other people they know, you know, breaking them up, moving them, making them do some of the things mm-hmm. to gain a simple empathy of what somebody else goes through. You know, here, go sit with uh, these guys that are training to do X, Y, and Z, or mm-hmm. some of the leadership things we do, you know, about, about just giving people a minute to share and learn to open up and talk about things that are difficult for them, or just something neat that you need to know about a person that you're with to humanize them, right? And I mean, yeah. to me, that's a big deal is yep. for, for them to understand that, you know, hey, that's not just some guy sitting over there, but he's got a whole story behind him or she's got a whole story behind her that makes them who they are. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to learn to be a good leader, you got to understand that people have that sitting in the background, that they're not just somebody that's doing a job for you or somebody you just work with. There's a, there's a human being sitting there with a whole story. And as a, as a leader, if you can always empathize or at least understand that there's something there else besides just the person you see, then I think that's helpful. And we try to stress that. That's cool. Very cool. So our next segment we call Mark is called the transparent 10. Yep. And I'm going to hit you with some, some lightning fast questions. And the first thing that pops your head, you give them back and it's just a great way for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So here we go. So what's your most proud achievement? Don't give me kids or wife, something besides that. Oh my God. Most proud achievement. Um, Making it through, making it through and out of graduate school. Love it. Something you love to do. Watch football. Amen. Go Bucks. Something you hate to do. Clean up after a football game. <laughs> All right. I got to come to your, your to your party. Sounds like fun. Guilty pleasure. Oh, my goodness. Uh, ordering uh, food from a restaurant in Tampa. All right. And getting it sent to Chattanooga. Oh, I like it. Which restaurant? It's uh, La Terracita. All right. Now it's on my list. Favorite band? Van Halen. Nice. Favorite movie? Star Wars. All right. Favorite vacation? Caribbean cruise it was taken. There you go. Something you suck at in business? Being a hard ass. All right. Something you're great at in business? Um, Strategizing. What's your big vision for the food industry? Biggest vision I have for the food industry is, is to see it actually embrace... The, the myriad of technologies that are out there that I think can actually make the food industry better, um, whether they be logistics, you know, pathogen testing, you name it. There's a ton of stuff out there that, that, that has not been fully embraced that I think would uh, get us to the point that, you know, you didn't see great improvements in food safety mm-hmm. and quality from it. So Mark, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, they want, to kind of get some thoughts or ideas from you or, or bring you on board, what's the best way they can get in touch? couple of ways. Um, you know, email address is mark at mc2e.net. You can catch me there all the time. Um, getting ready, you know, there's a new, new uh, 
new thing we're getting ready to do for training and stuff like that, that I think would be interesting for folks. But there, phone, you know, easy to find, 423-205-3064. LinkedIn, right? Hit me on LinkedIn. That's the best ways to find me. And uh, we're, we're happy to jump and help anybody who needs help. Awesome. Hey, it's an honor and a pleasure to, to talk to you today, Mark, and, and excited uh, to see the great things you're going to do and see what's happening in the food industry. Cool. Hey, Joe, thanks, man. I greatly appreciate you having me. My pleasure. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening and stay transparent. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Getting Transparent, brought to you by Tag One. Please subscribe to receive notifications for future episodes and visit us at www.tagone.com.